Jeremiah chapter 17. I want to read, starting at verse number 5. All right. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord, for he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Now, the comparison here is clear. God is speaking by the, through the mouth of the prophet Jeremiah about two types of people. Historically, in the context of that day, the people of God were not trusting directly in the Lord. They were looking to man to help them, to deliver them from their adversaries, for example. Uh, and in this context, what God is saying is there's a place that he's calling us to. And that place, he uses a metaphor of how if we trust in him implicitly, if we make him our confidence, in fact, the, the wording in the Hebrew actually speaks about God becoming our refuge, God becoming our sanctuary, he becomes our dwelling place, and we abide and we dwell in him, then what takes place is God says we will flourish in every season, no matter what life looks like, no matter how difficult things may be in the natural, all around us, or even spiritually or even personally in the context of our, our individual struggles because we all go through different um, circumstances in life. But God is saying no matter what it is that you go through, if you trust in me, he said, you will bear fruit, you will be remain vital and green, and you will thrive, not just survive, but thrive. So that's a call that God invites his people to. Now, here's what I want us to look at over these next few weeks. We're going to be talking about the importance of having roots, the attending to the root system in our walk with God, because we know first is the root, then the shoot, then the fruit, right? So everybody say that. Say root, shoot, fruit, right? So there's an interesting um, scripture that I'm just going to refer to it, and you can look at it later. It's found in Mark chapter 4. Jesus refers to the kingdom of God, and in Mark chapter 4, he specifically speaks about how the kingdom of God is like a man who plants seed in, in a field, and then he goes to sleep. And while he's sleeping, what happens is the seed begins to grow all by itself is actually the wording. And, and the term that is used is, is automata in Greek, which literally we get our English word automatically. So here's what I want you to understand. The kingdom of God is like a man who goes to sleep, but he plants seed. While he's sleeping, the seed grows automatically. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't have to watch it, but he just goes to sleep, and the, and the seed grows by itself automatically. Now, this is the reality of what God has called us to as Christians. There's a place where we can understand and expect him to work in our lives almost effortlessly. 
In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, it says in the New Living Translation that God is working in us, giving us the desire and the power to do His will. God works in us to give us not only the ability to do His will, but the desire to do His will. So a lot of times we don't feel like doing something, correct? And the problem with that is the wisdom that is from the earth is, first of all, sensual. So that means that if you operate in a, an earthly realm, in, a, in the realm of the natural, as it says in James 3.16, that wisdom that, that is released to you is sensual. What does sensual mean? It's a wisdom that is based on senses. Today I feel like... I'm going to do this. I'm going to eat healthy. Today, I feel like I'm going to pray. Or today, I don't feel like going to church. I'm pulling the covers over my head. And the, the fact is, when you live that way, you're operating in the sensual realm. You're dealing with your emotions, your senses, how you feel, rather than making a commitment to do what is right and pleasing to God. So when we operate according to making choices based upon obedience, because a lot of Christians will say things like, I didn't have peace about that, so I just didn't do it. But yet Jesus said, if you obey my word, you'll have peace, you'll have joy. So listen, sometimes the reason why we don't have peace is because we're not obeying God. But if we obey what God says in his word, we will have peace and we will have joy. So don't operate on how you feel, because that literally is operating according to your senses. And as it also says in the book of Jude, there are people who are sensual having not the spirit. What does it mean to be sensual? It doesn't mean just to be immoral or, or you know, promiscuous. Uh, what it's referring to is operating according to our senses. I feel like this. Or I saw that and I've got to have it. And that's not the way that we're called to live, Correct. We're called to live based on what God has said in his word. And there are a lot of Christians that live in a sensual realm. What does that mean? If they don't feel Jesus, right? All life becomes about is feeling or experiencing something. But the fact is, that's not what God has called us to. He's called us to a relationship with whether we experience or feel Jesus or not. The fact is, the truth remains that Jesus said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Whether we feel it or we don't feel it. There are times, guys, when we struggle to even believe it. But let God be true and every man a liar. Whether we even, we even say, oh, I don't even know if that's true. Oh, I'm not convinced that Jesus is with me today. He is with you. He said he would never leave you. He's with you. Never leave you. Never forsake you. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And that's exactly what that verse is referring to in context in Hebrews chapter 13. So we live according to faith, Right? Because we walk by what? Faith, not by sight. So Hebrews 11 verse 1 in the Amplified Bible says, Faith perceives as real fact that which is not revealed to the senses. Faith perceives as factual that which is not revealed to the senses. So we have to move out of this realm of living centrally. Today, I feel good. It's going to be a good day. 
I woke up on the right side of the bed today. Hallelujah. It's going to be a good day. Oh, really? So when there was God yesterday when you didn't wake up on the right side of the bed? See, it's a lie. It's a deception. And when we live our lives that way, we will invariably vacillate and fluctuate in our emotional experiences. And even our performance and our achievements will be deeply hindered because today I just don't feel like. So we may go to work. We may pray. We may do certain things, but we don't apply ourselves fully because for some reason, you know, I just don't feel good today. The fact is, God has never called us to live that way. The way of the kingdom is diametrically opposed to the way of the world when it comes to how we respond. Because the way of the kingdom is what? We walk by faith, not by sight. Now, faith is what? Hebrews 11.1. 1, the what? Substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So there are things that we don't see. In fact, Paul tells us in Corinthians that that which is invisible is actually eternal. And that which is visible is, in fact, temporal. So what we can touch, feel, taste, what we hear, what we see, all of these things are temporal. But there's three things the Bible says will endure forever, by the way. Do you know that? Three things the Bible says will endure forever. God, from everlasting to everlasting, he's God. Guess what else? The word of God will endure forever, Jesus said. And then in First John chapter 2, it says the person who obeys the word of God, the person who dwells in him will abide forever. It actually says he who does the will of God will abide forever. So in that realm, there's times, there's seasons in that context when we just don't feel like doing certain things. And the fact is, we've got to recognize that obedience is what God has called us to. And obedience requires that we put down deep roots. Because it, the key to going through and breaking through seasons where it just seems like emotionally, you're just not able to connect with God. Spiritually, I feel dissipated and and dried up and why is it that the presence of God seems far removed why is it when I pray that the heavens seem like brass listen what do you do in those seasons when you're going through a desert you realize that you're a tree that's planted by the water says repeatedly, this metaphor is employed in, in the Bible in Psalm chapter 1, the righteous are like tree, you know, that the, the we're believers are like those trees that are planted by a river. Isaiah chapter 61 says we are trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. The Hebrew word that is translated tree there literally speaks of a big, strong tree that has deep roots. You know, back home, we have this tree called an oak tree. Do we have oak trees here? We do, okay. Someone told me you don't. I haven't seen them. So an oak tree, often, it takes 40 years before it even bears fruit, before it produces an acorn. Do you know what? The fact of the matter is, during that time, that tree is becoming stronger, mature. Its, its root system is just incredible. Try blowing that tree over. doesn't matter what 
the temp, how tempestuous the, the, the conditions may be, inclement the weather might be. The fact of the matter is a tree that has deep roots, stabilized, won't fall over no matter what happens. And so many Christians, look, Jesus said, he told this parable and he said, it's like, Someone who, you know, the word of God is sown and there's different responses. And some people, the word is sown and it's like seed that's thrown on a pathway or a footpath. And, you know, the bird comes and snatches the seed. And, and they said the other seed is like seed that's sown in shallow ground. And it immediately, it, it, it bears fruit in that sense. And, and, but because there's no root, then what happens in the time of heat, then it dries up. It dies. And then another seed is like the seed that is sown among thorns. And the thorns come and choke out the word so it's not able to bear fruit. But then he speaks about the righteous. And he says this about the righteous. The righteous are like seed that is sown in what kind of soil? Good soil. And it actually says, depending on which account you look at in the Gospels, that through perseverance they produce a harvest is what one account says. Through perseverance... So in other words, it may not be immediate, but as they persevere, then what happens is they invariably will experience a harvest. Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary in well-doing, for we shall reap a harvest in due season if we want faint not. So the call is to persevere. The call is to continue to abide. And when you look at this whole thing, and when he begins to talk about roots, there's, there's several examples in the scripture. But a tree that is planted by the water is a tree that no matter what happens, when there's a drought, when there's a famine, that tree has what's called a, a, what's called a, a, a root that is um, a taproot, and that taproot extends itself. It's almost like the root has a sense of smell. Planted by a river... And it literally says here in Jeremiah chapter 17 that that root extends itself in a time of drought or famine. The New Living Translation says the righteous are like those who have roots that reach deep. When you're going through a difficulty, when it seems that spiritually you're dry, where is God? Why is it that I'm feeling the way I am? Understand that the water supply is not far away. It's there. Because you, no matter what you think, you're not in a desert, you're a tree planted by the river. You're always in close proximity to the life that God has made available to you. But what you may have to do is reach a little deeper. You may have to extend your roots. You may have to lengthen your roots. You may have to go a little bit deeper. So when you can't move forward, when you're at an impasse, when your way seems blocked and you don't know what to do, the answer is to go deeper. A tree planted by the river. You know, the Japanese have introduced many innovations to our world, haven't they? Come on, we've all heard of names such as Toyota, Nissan, Honda, Mitsubishi, Canon, Sony. But there's something else the Japanese introduced to us. Bonsai. Do you know what a bonsai, a bonsai tree? What happens is it was intentionally altered by its owner so it would never reach its full potential. 
during its early stages of growth, the owner will pluck it up out of the soil, tie off the tap root, tie off some of the feeder roots, replant it. And what happens is it looks like it's a mature tree, but it's it's a miniature version because it was never able to be able to draw the full supply of nutrition that was available to it because of this intentional act done by its owner. And many Christians unwittingly have done the same thing to themselves. They've hindered their ability to reach their full growth potential because they have failed to tend to the root system of their lives. God wants you to recognize that you're the one that's responsible for the roots. Yes, he will cause the growth to take place, but we've got to watch over the root system of our lives. 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 30 speaks of a remnant people. A remnant literally in the Hebrew literally means a people that have survived something catastrophic. People that have gone through something that that has destroyed many people, but this remnant somehow have escaped and they survived. And it says this, the remnant that has escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. They're going to bear fruit upward. Why? Because they take what? Root downward. So first the fruit, then the shoot, then the root. I'm sorry. First the root, then the shoot, then the fruit. You know what I was meaning. So God says we have to focus on the root system of our lives. There are so many Christians that are saying, God, why is it that I can't get the breakthrough? Why is it that I'm struggling? Why is it that when I pray, it doesn't seem that you're answering me? And they have done absolutely nothing to extend their roots and go deeper. The Bible says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Yes, Jesus came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. He's the one who initiated the search and rescue mission. Absolutely. But understand this, that there is a call during our times of maturing as believers that we have to do things to go deeper. If you, if you, Lynn said it earlier, it was Einstein that said, if you do the same thing expecting different results, that's what? Insanity. So the fact of the matter is, you can't live in that place. We've got to move to that place where we begin to realize that there is a responsibility that is incumbent upon us to take ownership, to own it, guys, for our spiritual growth and development. You can't say, well, it's the church. The church isn't spiritual enough. Or look at, I mean, honestly, I know people that go to amazing churches and the church still isn't spiritual enough. Why? Because they haven't put down roots. They don't have that personal walk with God and relationship. And I'm telling you, the key, if you're going to be a true disciple of Jesus, and we're teaching this in our 3M class, and you're going to overcome, and you're going to prevail, and you're going to walk in the power of God, and you're going to become the devil's worst nightmare on the earth, then let me tell you this, that the key is understanding how to go deep with God on your personal level. A man or woman that does not know how to pray will be tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. A man or a woman that is not rooted and grounded in the word of God will not be able to stand. They live by experience. 
They'll, they'll look at, I love the presence of God. There's times when the presence of God just goes to a level that is amazing. And there's times, when, and I'm still saying, God, I know there's more, there's more, there's more, there's more. But just because I may not feel it that way doesn't mean that God wasn't here. Do you know how many times I've preached a message and I'm like total epic fail? That's when I'm going home and I'm like, this was epic fail, man. And people, oh, that was amazing. You know, God spoke to me and God touched me today. And I'm like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, wow. Listen, guys, there's a place if we will just focus on those root systems going deep. God will change us and he'll create the fruit that is needed in our lives and in the lives of others. Fruit is very important to God. Do you know that? Fruit is very important to God because every good tree bears what? Right. So it's very important to God. And if a tree is not bearing fruit, you know, you can read John 15. You can read elsewhere in the gospel where Jesus talks about you'll cut down the tree and throw it in the fire because it hasn't bore fruit. So it's very important to him. But as Martin Luther said many years ago, it's not the fruit that makes the tree good, but it's the tree that makes the fruit good. See, some Christians focus on bearing fruit. I just need to bear fruit. Man, I feel barren. I don't feel like I'm bearing any fruit. Jesus never once called us to bear fruit. What? No, what are you saying? Yes, he did. He said that every good tree bears good fruit. Yes, that was a statement, guys. That was a promise. Every good tree bears good fruit. So if the tree is good, then the fruit will be good. So the fact of the matter is there's at least two things that is very critical to see fruit manifest in our lives. So talk about those another time. Today, I want you just to look at with me the promise of God in John chapter 15, verse number 16. Jesus said this, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. What does that mean? God says fruit and fruit in all seasons. Fruit should remain. It's not like some Christians are like, I remember 25 years ago when God did this in my life. And now you look at their lives and like, where's the fruit now? There's times when I look back and I can see amazing things have happened in my life. And I thank God for that. But I never want to look back to the past as a reference point for a move of the Holy Spirit. I should be able to look at the present and say, yes, God is at work. He's moving right now in my life. I'm not the person I once was, thank God. I'm not perfect. I've got a long way to go. But I recognize this, that God is at work in my life. He's changing me. And there is fruit that is being manifested in my life. And that fruit is his nature. You see, when the Bible talks about bearing fruit, there are at least four things that the Scripture speaks about. And by the way, Jesus said in John 15, verse 8, that the Father is glorified by the fact that we bear what? Good fruit. That we bear good fruit. So the Father is glorified. But let's look at this. What is bearing fruit? Well, there's several examples, four that we'll look at in the Scripture. First of all, it's the character of Christ in us. 
the character of Christ being developed in us, manifesting from us to others. Galatians 5.22 talks, and 23 talks about the fruit of the Spirit, correct? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. So it's the fruit of the Spirit. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul calls it the fruit of righteousness. It's called the fruit of righteousness elsewhere. James 3.18, for example. It is the fruit of God manifesting in our lives. So the proof that we are righteous, the proof that the tree is good is what? Good fruit, right? So there's this thing that is happening in the church right now where we've got two extreme teachings on grace. The one extreme is this, that you need to work hard, you need to pray, you need to do this, do that, and then discipline yourself, you know, be fastidious and et cetera, and you'll change. But that's human effort. That's not grace. That's, that can become legalism quite easily. The other extreme is this. Hey, God loves me just the way I am. And uh, you know what? Grace is like the big cover-up. But that's not grace either. See, I've already referred to an amazing scripture that, that really, I believe, supports a biblical definition of grace. And that scripture is Philippians 2.13. God is working in us, giving us the desire and the power to do his will, what is pleasing in his sight. But the Bible speaks about grace in many different ways. In Hebrews 12.28, it says, grace is the power of God causing us to be able to worship him in a way that's acceptable. In Romans 6.14, sin shall not have dominion over you. You're not under law. You're under grace. In Titus 2.11 and 12, the grace of God that brings salvation, which means deliverance, teaches us to say no or to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. So grace is a teacher. By the way, the Holy Spirit who's called a teacher is also called the Spirit of Grace. At least two times in the Bible, once in the Old Testament and once in the New Testament. So the Spirit of Grace is this, that what does the Holy Spirit do? Remember the scripture that says that those that are led by the Spirit are the sons of God? You remember that scripture? It's found in Romans chapter 8. If you read it in its context, do you know how you're being led by the Spirit? Because God spoke to me and gave me a prophetic word. No, 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 guys. We have so many Christians today that don't even know how to exegete the scriptures. We come up with this crazy stuff, and it's not even biblically based. Yeah, God speaks. I believe in the gifts. Absolutely. I believe in the prophetic. Absolutely. But that's not what that passage is talking about. The passage says that if you are overcoming your lustful desires and your fleshly ways, then you're being led by the Spirit. Come on. So, because the Spirit leads us in holiness. The Spirit leads us to overcome. The Spirit changes us so we become more and more like Jesus. When the Holy Spirit is working in you, the Spirit of holiness is at work. Because He's the Holy Spirit. And He's changing you into the image and nature of Jesus Christ. So you don't... Continue to be that nasty person. You actually become a person people want to be around. Because you manifest humility. You manifest character, love. But if you quench the spirit, it's not just, well, that church doesn't allow the spirit of God to move. They're quenching the spirit. Quenching the spirit means you're not allowing the spirit to change you into the image and nature of Jesus. That's how you quench the spirit. It's more than just a church that denies the gifts, guys. That's 
much more than that. So often we're focused on, you know, this experience where we have healing or we have, and I believe in healing, guys, but the bottom, I believe in healing. Let me say it again. I believe in healing. Everyone Jesus came in contact with, he healed. I want to see that happen. I believe it can happen. Am I seeing it? No. Are you seeing it? No. But can it happen? Yes. But let's realize that, listen, the most important thing is for people to become like Jesus. And in fact, if we become like Jesus, we'll be able to do the things that Jesus did. So let's not focus on manifestations per se. Let's look at becoming like Jesus. What do you do when things aren't going the way they should be going in your life, in the life of someone else? What do you do? You come to Jesus. What happens when you pray for someone and they're not healed? What do you do? Some people say, well, see, it's obviously God doesn't heal the sick every time. Or God doesn't do miracles today. Listen, what do we do? There's some things I don't understand, clearly. Right? Because God is not irrational. He's super rational. He's bigger than our brains. There's things that don't, we don't necessarily understand about God. But when I read the scripture, I still have to recognize that Jesus said, I've given you authority and power to heal every kind of sickness and disease. I've given you authority and power to cast out demons. So what do I do? Go around and say, well, you know what? It didn't happen then, so it must not happen then. The disciples, were, the young boy was brought to the disciples at one time, and they said, you know, cast the demons out of him. And look, they weren't able to do so. And so Jesus rocks up, and the father says, look, I brought my son to your disciples so that he would be healed, so the demons would be cast out of him. And your disciples weren't able to do it what did jesus say hey listen guys why are you bothering me same spirit that's in me is in them if they weren't able to do it then what makes you think i'm able to do it i mean come on now is that what he said i'm meddling listen but the fact of the matter is what did he do he said bring the boy to me oh unbelieving generation Oh, perverse generation. How long shall I bear with you? How long shall I put up with you? That's what Jesus said. And then with authority, he commanded the boy to be healed. Unclean spirit came out of him. He was changed. He was healed. Completely made whole. So what do you do when you're not seeing that stuff, guys? You go deeper. You go deeper. Don't align, don't devise a theology that, that is, you know, morphs out of your current life circumstances. Align your circumstances with the word of God. And if your circumstances don't match the word of God, then you realize, I, need, I realize that I need to change. Well, what if you do it and, and you pray and you fast and it doesn't happen? I'd rather do it than not do it. What if I do it and something does happen? Right? Christian character. Sharing the gospel is bearing fruit. Paul speaks about that in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 15, Romans 1, verse 13, where he speaks about going to Rome to have some fruit from his ministry there. Then he said that the conversion of the household of Stephanus was the first fruits of Achaia. Praise, worship, and thanksgiving. Hebrews 13, 15 says that it's the fruit of our lips giving thanks to God. We bear fruit when we offer th- acknowledgement to him in, in the name of Jesus. 
Fourthly, giving of our finances. Romans 15:28 speaks about the collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem as fruit that will abound to your account. Philippians 4:17, Paul says that as they gave toward the ministry, it was fruit that would abound to their account. The fact is, all of this stuff is fruit. It's a manifestation of good things, correct? It's a manifestation of behavior that is rooted and grounded in an inner conviction and an inner strength and a supernatural power. How many know that Muslims give money? How many know that other religions give money, correct? But they don't have the Holy Spirit according to the scriptures. What does that mean? It means this, that it's a good act. But what is it? It's works. Notice, in Galatians 5, he talks about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. There's no works. It's fruit. Now, you, you can make something out of fruit, but you can't make fruit. You can make a dish from fruit, right? But you can't create fruit. Only God can create fruit. It's part of creation, correct? So the fact is, in the spirit, that's true as well. What? So the promise is this. Every good tree will bear fruit. That's a promise. So stop trying to bear fruit. Like, just take the responsibility off yourself. So what did Jesus teach? He said, bearing fruit is the promise. In John 15, he said, abiding is the process. If you will focus on abiding, the Greek word meno, M-E-N-O, you will bear fruit. What does it mean to abide? It means to stay in a place of connectivity. And he uses the analogy of a branch that's connected to a vine. The life that's in the vine flows into the branch. And the branch what? Bears fruit effortlessly. Going back to Mark 4, all by itself. The Greek word from which we get our English term automatically. So we bear fruit all by without human effort. As we abide, his life flows into us. That's why if we would get this, why? Because what does it say in 2 Peter 1 verse 3? That we are partakers of the divine nature. Ephesians 4.24 says that when we were born again, we literally were recreated in the image and likeness of Christ. When you go back to the book of Genesis chapter 1, we were made in his image and likeness. Next Sunday, 3 a.m. class, you are going to be totally blown away by the teaching on this. It is going to rock your world because you're going to understand that God created you to be a bridge between heaven and earth. We were created to be the bridge that bridges the gap between the reality of heaven coming to earth. Isn't that awesome? That's what the Hebrew word demuth means, which is the word translated likeness in Genesis 1. We're created to be that. The fruit happens as we abide. The Hebrew word that is, I'm sorry, the Greek term in John 15 that is translated abide has a, 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 a derivative, actually the root word is found in John 14. 
And I believe it's verse 21 or 23. And it actually speaks about how God becomes the abode. That literally, God is our abode. We abide in him. We live in him. Abode is an old English word that means what? A dwelling place, a habitation, for example. The word literally means a place, a permanent residency. It means a place of not visitation, but occupation. It's a place that we live in him constantly, and he lives in us constantly. See, God isn't wanting visita- you know, weekend visitation rights. Come on, he's not, I don't know what you say here, but we would say a drop-dead daddy or deadbeat daddy, which means a father who won't support his children. He forsakes them. The, mom, the, the mother raises the kids, but the father does nothing to support the kids. We call that a deadbeat daddy. It's African-American language, by the way. But the fact is, that is a term that we see God as in many ways. He's this God that just like, you know, every once in a while buys us something, gives us something, shows up. But he's saying, that's not the relationship I want to have. That's not the relationship that, that, that's, that's a misrepresentation of who I am. I want to live in you and dwell in you so that you know me at all times. I'm always there. I'm always close. But you've got to learn to abide. When you abide in me, I will become your abode. So every good tree bears good fruit. But we have to learn and focus on the root system. The root system is so important. Fruit is the external manifestation of the invisible life that is in a plant or tree. So what happens? That life flows into you, flows into me. We bear fruit without effort. Right? I said when we, we lived in Florida for several years, and Florida is the sunshine state. Florida is the place where they grow oranges and grapefruits and, you know, in North America. And I, we did have a grapefruit tree or a couple grapefruit trees and even some orange trees on our property. And I never once saw an orange tree or a grapefruit tree when I looked out, walked into my backyard going, ah, fruit, ah. Doesn't happen. What do they do? The branch stays connected to the tree trunk. The life flows into the branch, and then the branch bears the fruit automatically. And so if we focus on the roots, going deeper, staying connected, then what will happen abiding is we will bear fruit will change see the nature of god is in us his nature flows into us and we change people are like well i need to you know do this and do that and i've got this desire and this and god's like let me change you if you delight yourself in the lord he will give you the desires of your heart so if you delight yourself in god which is synonymous for staying connected so that his life flows in you he's going to give you the desires of your heart and it's going to be his desires so the things that you hated you love and some of the things you used to love you'll end up hating so he'll change your affections he'll change your desires he'll give you new desires better desires holy desires pure desires good desires desires that will cause you to move forward and bear much fruit and not stay struck but you stay stuck. So you come to that place where you just stay submitted to him in all ways. I want to just close with this illustration. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. It's not only just the roots, but it's also the soil. 
it's not just the roots, but it's also the what? The soil. You know, the story is told of a farmer who planted two fruit trees on different sides of his property. On the one side of the property, he planted some fruit trees, and he did that literally to serve as a hedge to hide an old landfill or a, a rubbish tip. And then on the other side, he planted some trees by a cool stream. After a while, the trees grew and they began to bear fruit. And he went out and he tested the fruit from the tree that was planted near the refuse tip. The symmetry, you know, it was out. It was somewhat disformed, disfigured. But he took a bite of it. He thought, hey, looks okay. But he was sickened by the taste. He threw it to the ground. Went to the other trees. Took a bite of the fruit. The trees planted by the stream tasted amazing. What was the difference, guys? It was the soil. What are we putting our roots into? Think about it. We all are extending our roots one way or another. We all have roots, but are our roots going into the spirit of this world, the things of this world, carnal pursuits, fleshly desires, things that are not important? Or are we putting our roots deep down into the soil of Christ himself? Because when you read Ephesians and you read Colossians, he says we need to be rooted and grounded in Christ. We need to be rooted in his love. And he says that when we're rooted in his love and we know who he is, he said the fruit, it's going to be amazing. It's a lot of people, a lot of Christians even really mean well and they want to change. But the fact of the matter is they're going about it the wrong way. You ever try to do something, maybe an athlete or a musician, and you know, you, you're trying to do something and you do all right at it, but then someone comes along and says, you know, no, no, that's a bad habit. You should never do things that way. And you're like, I've done this for 25 years. They said, if you want to become the athlete that you have the potential to become, you're going to have to stop doing that. There's a better way. What you're doing may have brought you to a certain place, but you'll never reach your full potential. So all of a sudden now there's this whole relearning, deconstruction process, and then you've got to, like, learn things the proper way. And look, at for us as Christians, many of us, you might be at this place in your life right now where all, for many, many years even perhaps you've been trying to do certain things a certain way, but it's just not been working. Guess what? It will work if you do it the right way. If you do it God's way, it'll work. He's promised you'll bear fruit. The amazing thing about that promise in Jeremiah 17 is that taproot tirelessly tunnels, digs, digs deep until it finds the water. All the other trees, trees that are not planted by the river, they began to dry up. Their leaves turn discolor and fade. No fruit. But the tree that's planted by the river bears fruit in all seasons and 
continuously remains green all seasons guys no matter if you're a new christian whether you're a christian for a few years or you've been a christian for many years no matter if you're in your 70s or your 80s or if you're in your 20s it doesn't matter god says you can bear fruit in all seasons this is your season to be fruitful this is your season to bear the most fruit you've ever bore before come on but are you willing to uproot the roots from the soil that's toxic are you willing to put down deep roots in the good soil that's going to mean some specific things you're going to have to do in terms of your connection your relationship with Jesus we all have the same amount of time what we do with it is called stewardship God wants us to bear good fruit in all seasons. Oh, it's so amazing. Oh, wow. Jesus, I've changed. I had this battle that was going on in my mind for so many years. I believed the enemy. I was tormented day and night. And Lord... I, I just stopped dealing with even with the symptoms and I just began to connect with you and I just began to put down those deep roots and learn to abide in you and worship you and, and pray and, and just walk with you. And then all of a sudden, these things just began to leave me. Just began to leave me. All of a sudden now, like, wow, it stopped. It, it, it stopped. It's not, it's not happening. The voices have gone away. Come on, guys. This is real. This is what people are dealing with in life. The voices have gone away. And now I hear his voice. And now I was, I was confused and I was disoriented and I hated myself. And now I kind of like myself. Now, now I, I, I'm not the person that I once was. Now I have this desire to love other people. And now I'm not this person that just withdraws all the time. Now I actually even want to be around other people. Because I just started to change. And you know what? Jesus, I just began to draw from his nature and character. My roots began to connect. And my, my branch was tied into the vine and his life and his nature. Jesus, the friend of sinners, began to flow into me. And now I like to be around people. I'm not this introverted, reclusive type person anymore. I actually like to be around people. Yeah! That's who I was. Yeah, I am bringing it. That's who I was. But I just began to hang out with Jesus. And he said, I'm going to give you my desires, my affections, what I want from you. And he began to change me. I was never loud, believe it or not. And you haven't even heard me get loud yet. I was never loud. I was very quiet. I stood in front of the crowds. One time I did a, a public speaking thing in school. And I was like, oh. When I got baptized, and well, you know, I had to stand. We were in a big church. I had to stand in front of people, and I couldn't even look at anyone. I put my head down the whole time. I was so fearful of people. And now, look at, look at me, aren't I? A work of Jesus. <laughs> so are you. Hey, look, we can be a masterpiece and a work in progress at the same time, right? That's a fact. But we are who we are. Let's stand together because of the grace of God. So, first of all, the root, then the what? Shoot, right? Then the fruit. You say, where's the fruit? Well, I don't know, but do you see the shoot? 
Yeah. You see the shoot? Don't worry. The fruit's coming. The fruit's coming. It's coming. Come on, let's worship Jesus together this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.